I'm going to share this out of pure transparency, although I'm a little embarrassed to admit it. But nonetheless, it's a pretty good show. I've discovered a medical drama on television that is based upon an autistic resident. And again, even though you need some suspension of disbelief, it's a pretty good medical show. But in one of the episodes, it featured a 19-year-old young girl who was asking for vaginal rejuvenation because she had had female circumcision as a child. Now, female circumcision is a recognized issue by ACOG and the World Health Organization. And so I realized watching that episode that we just don't get enough education, either in medical school or OBGYN residency, about this condition and what it actually means. So I decided to do this podcast on female circumcision, which is otherwise called female genital mutilation. The ACOG and the World Health Organization and the American Medical Association are in agreement in opposing all forms of medically unnecessary surgical modification of the female genitalia. Female genital mutilation, or FGM, also known as female genital cutting or female circumcision, is described by the World Health Organization as comprising, quote, all procedures that involve partial or total removal of the external female genitalia or other injury to the female genital organs for non-medical reasons, end quote. ACOG estimates that more than 513,000 girls and women in the U.S. have experienced or are at risk of female genital mutilation. Now, in the U.S., it is illegal under federal law to perform female genital mutilation on anyone under the age of 18 or to knowingly transport a girl out of the U.S. to perform this procedure. Many state laws also prohibit female genital mutilation on minors, and some states prohibit the practice on adult women. ACOG supports laws that do the following. Number one is to ban the practice. Next are laws that promote greater public awareness and education in schools and among the medical and law enforcement community. So that's one of the reasons that we're doing this podcast to increase the public awareness and education about this concern. Female genital mutilation involves a partial or total removal of external female genitalia, including the clitoral hood and the clitoris or other injury to the female genital organs for non-medical reasons. The practice has no established health benefits for girls or women. FGM, remember that's female genital mutilation, can cause severe bleeding and problems urinating and later cysts, infection, as well as complications in childbirth and increases the risk of newborn deaths. More than 200 million women and girls alive today have been cut in 30 countries in Africa, the Middle East, and Asia, where FGM is concentrated. Now, I have to stop here for just a moment because please understand that this podcast is not meant to put blame or make any kind of judgment calls on anybody's ethnic or cultural norms or expectations. But this podcast is meant to stand with the agreement of ACOG and the World Health Organization that procedures that just have no medical benefit and have potential risks and have the potential to significantly impair a woman's sexual 
sexual function and sexual satisfaction is just not appropriate. So again, this is not to cause any kind of harm or cause judgment on any kind of cultural belief system. But female genital mutilation, which is a harsh word, or female circumcision, again, is not endorsed by the WHO, the CDC, or ACOG, and is just a very complicated and unnecessary procedure. Okay, back to our quick facts about female genital mutilation. FGM is mostly carried out on young girls between infancy and the age of 15. According to the World Health Organization, FGM is, quote, a violation of the human rights of girls and women, end quote. The World Health Organization is opposed to all forms of FGM and is opposed to healthcare providers performing the procedure. In other words, it's opposed to medicalization of FGM because that doesn't make it any better. Treatment of health complications of this procedure in 27 high-prevalence countries has cost around 1.4 billion U.S. dollars per year. According to ACOG and the WHO, FGM is a recognized international violation of human rights of girls and women. It reflects deep-rooted inequality between the sexes and constitutes an extreme form of discrimination against women. It is nearly always carried out on minors and again is a violation of the rights of children. The practice also violates a person's right to health, security, and physical integrity. It also is a violation of their right to be free from torture and cruel, inhumane, or degrading treatment. Look, I know that was pretty heavy and depressing, but we got to talk about this. When we come back, let's talk about the different types of female genital mutilation. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market female genital mutilation is classified into four major types type one is the partial or total removal of the clitoral head or the clitoral glands remember that that's the external and the most visible part of the clitoris and it also includes removal of the prepuce or the clitoral hood which is of course that fold of skin surrounding the clitoris Type 2 FGM is the partial or total removal of the clitoral glands and the labia minora with or without removal of the labia majora. Female genital mutilation type 3 is also known as infibulation. That's I-N-F-I-B-U-L-A-T-I-O-N, infibulation. This is the narrowing of the vaginal opening through the creation of a covering seal. The seal is formed by cutting and repositioning the labia minora or the labia majora, sometimes through stitching with or without removal of the clitoral prepuce, the hood, or the glands. Again, type 3 is a narrowing or closure of the vaginal opening. 
type 4, which is the last type of FGM, includes all other harmful procedures to the female genitalia for non-medical purposes. This can include prickling, piercing, incising, scraping, or cauterizing the genital area, which is a type of female genital mutilation. Now, you may have heard of the term de-infibulation, which is D-E-I-N-F-I-B-U-L-A-T-I-O-N, de-infibulation. Well, this refers to the practice of cutting open the sealed vaginal opening of a woman who has had infibulation. This is also necessary for improving health and the well-being, as well as to allow intercourse or to facilitate childbirth. According to ACOG and the World Health Organization, FGM has zero health benefits and it harms girls and women in many ways. It involves removing and damaging healthy and normal female genital tissue and interferes with the natural function of girls and women's bodies. Generally speaking, risks of female genital mutilation increase with increasing severity of the procedure, although all forms of FGM are associated with increased health risks. Some of the immediate complications can include severe pain because of nerve entrapment or inappropriate healing, excessive bleeding, genital tissue swelling, fever, infections, urinary problems, wound healing problems, injury to surrounding genital tissue, shock, and even death has been reported. There's also, of course, long-term complications. Some of these long-term complications can include urinary tract infections or urinary retention. Vaginal problems can include bacterial vaginosis or other chronic infections. Of course, there can be painful menstruations from hematocopos, blood trapped behind the vagina. There can be scar tissue and keloid formation. Of course, there is severe dyspareunia because of the narrowed vaginal tissue and the scarring. And of course, there is decreased sexual satisfaction because the clitoris can be obliterated. There's also the potential for need for later surgical correction, sometimes in preparation for childbirth. And of course, there's psychological problems like depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, low self-esteem, and poor body image. Well, who's at risk of this? I mean, this doesn't happen in the U.S., does it? Well, it actually does, although it's done, of course, covertly because it's illegal. FGM is mostly carried out on young girls sometime between infancy and adolescence and occasionally on adult women. More than 3 million girls are estimated to be at risk of FGM annually. More than 200 million girls and women alive today have been subjected to the procedure. And I've got to tell you, I've taken care of a handful of these patients and there's always some deep psychological trauma and they're affected by this. Now, this is a tough issue because, remember, we always want to be culturally sensitive to people's beliefs, but this is a human rights violation. The reasons why female genital mutilations are performed vary from one region to another as well as over time and include a mix of sociocultural factors within families and communities. The most commonly cited reasons include the following. First, where FGM is a social convention or a social norm, the social pressure to conform to what others do and have been doing out of tradition is a high pressure in the community. Next, female genital mutilation is often considered a necessary part of raising a girl and a way to prepare her for adulthood and marriage by having her remain a virgin. 
Now, according to the World Health Organization, though no religious scripts prescribe the practice, practitioners often believe the practice has religious support. Religious leaders take varying positions with regard to FGM. Some promote it. Others consider it irrelevant to religion, and others contribute to its elimination. Local structures of power and authority, like community leaders, religious leaders, circumcisers, and even some medical personnel, can contribute to upholding the practice. Likewise, when informed, they can be effective advocates for abandonment of FGM once they're made aware that it is an international human rights violation. Now, in most societies where FGM is practiced, it's considered a cultural tradition, which is often used as an argument for its continuation. In some societies, recent adoption of the practice is linked to copying the traditions of neighboring groups. Sometimes it has started as part of a wider religious or traditional revival movement. In terms of international response to this practice, building on work from previous decades, in 1997, the World Health Organization issued a joint statement against the practice together with the United Nations Children's Fund, which is UNICEF, and the United Nations Population Fund, or UNFPA. Since 1997, great efforts have been made to counteract FGM through research, work within communities, and changes in public policy. Progress at international, national, and subnational levels has included wider international involvement to stop the procedure, as well as international monitoring bodies and resolutions that have been drafted that condemn the practice. In 2018, the World Health Organization launched a clinical handbook on female genital mutilation to improve knowledge, attitudes, and skills of healthcare providers in preventing and managing the complications of FGM. All right, that brings us to a wrap. We have covered a pretty deep topic, but as women's healthcare providers and advocates, we have to discuss this and educate ourselves and our patients about it. Remember that ACOG stands with the American Medical Association and the World Health Organization in condemning this practice. Thanks for being part of our podcast family, and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.